Good morning. Um, for those of you I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Kenny, um, and I'm a pastor at Christ Community, a associate pastor of Extension Ministries, and my wife and I, Marta, we attend um, this campus most of the time, and we're really enjoying it. We live right across the street, which is nice. So over the last five weeks, we've been looking at what, we've been looking at important theological issues and been asking, why does this matter? Or does it really matter? I'm going to move forward a bit. Sorry. Um, And this morning, we want to look at this idea of the Holy Spirit. And like Kelly said earlier, sometimes it's a difficult topic for some of us. So what we're going to do is we're going to hone in on this section of scripture and we're going we're gonna to try to figure out what is said about the Holy Spirit and how that affects us. And ask, is this really important to us? So I, I, I want to ask, if you have your Bibles, if you could open them to John 16. We're going to be looking at this. And if you don't have a Bible behind these dividers, there's a bunch of Bibles. You can grab one. And in those Bibles, it's on page 587. So this is John chapter 16. First, let's, let's try to picture the situation we've just, been, we've just heard read. Jesus is leaving. Can you imagine what it feels like for Jesus, the leader of these disciples, to lead? Now, up to the, to leave, sorry. Up to this point in the gospel, um, Jesus has been doing miracles. He's been healing people. He's proven to be this awesome leader. He's been changing the world, right? He raised someone from the dead three chapters back or four chapters back. It's pretty impressive. And the disciples are like, this is awesome. We're going we're gonna to overcome the world. In fact, Jesus even says that later. Take heart. I've overcome the world. But suddenly, he takes them to an upper room, and he has this little speech with them, and he says, guys, this is your mission. You're going to go out. You're going to love people. You're going to talk about me. Oh, and by the way, I'm leaving. <laughs> Can you imagine how that feels? And then it, it gets even worse, right? If, if we look right above where our passage is in um, chapter 16, verse 2, look at what he says to them in a kind of, oh, by the way, look at this, 16.2. He says, They're going to put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Well, thanks, Jesus. That's that's great. And I'm leaving. Just want to let you know. Now, can you imagine what this feels like? Have you been in this situation before where someone that you love very dearly is leaving? Maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe a leader. Sorrow is probably not even a heavy enough word to express what you feel, don't you? And Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to the town next door. I'm going to come back. He's saying, I'm leaving, and I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to the Father. Can you imagine what it feels like? Can you imagine what it feels like to lose Jesus? And maybe, maybe even you can imagine, and you're thinking about this now. Um, what about the disciples? In that situation, I think two things are going through their mind, right? The first thing is, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> In fact, they do, right? Thinking, this is, this is just too much. I can't take it without Jesus. I'm going to go away. And maybe you feel a bit like that sometimes. Um, and maybe there's another response where they're thinking, okay, Jesus, you've trained us. We're ready to do this. You know, like, I think an American disciple would think that. Be like, <laughs> you gave us the right stuff. We're ready to go, right? But notice, notice how Jesus responds to this. Um, let's read it in verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go. So in a sense, it's an encouragement. Some of those disciples might be saying, okay, we're ready to go. But keep reading. He doesn't say, it's, I'm ready to go because you guys are ready to carry on my mission. Look what he says next. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
but if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, guys, you still need help. But he's also saying the helper is here. The helper is coming. And this is what I, I want to talk about this morning. God says to us, you need help to follow me, but I've sent my helper. My helper is here. So as we think about this, I want us to, to ask the text three questions this morning. First, why do we need help? Second, what does the helper do? And third, how do we respond to the helper or the Holy Spirit? Why, what, and how? So let's start with this first question. Why do we need help? Um, we need help because we are so self-absorbed that we can't understand Jesus' mission. Whoa, Kenny, that's a big thing. Well, let's look, let's look how the text talks about this. So like I was saying earlier, we all get the disciples' sorrow, don't we? Jesus is leaving. Their super leader is leaving. But here's the thing. Jesus is telling them they shouldn't be sad. You're like, come on, Jesus. Let me show you where that is. If you turn back a page um, to chapter 14 and look at verse 28, this is in the same speech. Look how Jesus says it. This is 14:28. He says, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. And listen to what he says. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. You might be thinking, Jesus, really? Your poor disciples, they're sad because you're going. But here's the thing. Jesus had been preparing them for this moment. Throughout the whole book of John, if you read John before, you, you may remember, Jesus keeps talking about this hour. The hour is coming. The time is coming when it's all, it's all gonna come together. The hour is coming when I will be lifted up. The hour is coming when I will be killed. And they should be ready for this because that's the hour of glorification. So Jesus is saying to them, you don't even understand that, the time, that this is the moment that we've been waiting for. In fact, um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. In fact, he even says to them in verse five, you, you're not even asking me where I'm going. You don't even care about where I'm going. Let me read that to you. He says, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But here's the thing. A couple of disciples had asked Jesus where he was going, but they weren't interested in where Jesus was going. Rather, they were interested in how that was going to affect them. Let me show you again. If we turn back again um, to, to chapter 13 at the end, verse 36, 1336, we'll see how Peter actually asked him, where are you going? Look at this. Let me read it to you. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter says to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. See, Peter saying, I can do it. I'm ready to go on this mission. And notice how Jesus answered. It's like, Peter, this, let, let me just read it. He says, will you lay down your life for me? Will you? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, which is like, kind of like, come on, Peter, listen to me. The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. That is, before the morning comes, you're going to already have denied me and abandoned me. Peter, you need help. You need help to follow me. You're not ready to follow me. He's saying, Peter, you're looking at yourself. You're trying to figure out, um, like one, one way of saying it is, Peter isn't really asking Jesus, where are you going? He's kind of saying, where do you think you're going? I was here, Jesus. What, what, what's going to happen to me? I was ready to serve you. Um, we were going to be with you to the very end. And it kind of reminds me of a, a song in Jesus Christ Superstar for those theater people here. I'm actually going to sing it because I just can't do it without singing it. You may know this. I always hoped that I'd be an apostle. Have you heard this one before? 
Knew that I would make it if I tried. Then when we retire, we can write the gospel so they'll all talk about us when we die. I think Andrew, thank you, thank you. That was my main purpose of preaching this morning was to see. No, but I want us to think about this for a second. I think Andrew Lloyd Webber is on to something. He's talking about the same scene. And there's a moment when the disciples are actually more interested in themselves and how they're going to be part of this mission rather than being interested in actually where Jesus is going and what Jesus' purpose is. Um, This is a big problem because they needed to understand what was going on in order to endure. I mean, they're going to face suffering. They're going to be killed. They needed to know what was going on, but they couldn't understand what was going on until they got through themselves. And an example of this um, that I was thinking about the other day is one, one year, Marta, my wife, wanted to throw me a surprise birthday party. And I, I like surprise birthday parties, but obviously I didn't know. And so the plan was after church, my friends were going to invite me out to, for a meal. She was going to be like, oh, I'm just going to go home and rest. And then I was supposed to come home later and have this big party. But that day I was feeling a little down, maybe because it was my birthday. Um, and I was like, Marta, I don't want you to go. I don't and I, I kind of do this. It's, it's really shameful for me to say this, but I kind of do. <laughs> I was like, Marta, you know, can't I just spend time with you? I just want to talk. And the poor girl, like, she's like, oh, well, it's okay, but you should go with your friends. I'm like, I want to be with my friends. I hate my friends. <laughs> um, it, it was pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> And I'd like to say it was many, many years ago, but it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> but here's the thing. I almost ruined the party that Marta was going to prepare for me, right? Because I was so concerned about myself in that moment that I didn't realize that something bigger was going to happen to me. See, Marta had to go home because she had the keys to the house. She knew where the food was. She was going to prepare. She knew how to decorate the house, prepare the rooms. Does this sound familiar? And so... But I was so self-absorbed with myself that I wasn't, I wasn't able to see that it was to my advantage that she go away. And you see, with the disciples, it's almost, it's more difficult in a sense, because Jesus is going away to prepare a party for them, but they're going to have a pretty long period here on earth to get ready for that party. And they have to give out invitations. They have to tell people what it's about. They have to party here in preparation for the party there. They needed to know what was going on. And this is what Jesus is getting at in verse 7 when he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am going away. For if I don't go away, this helper cannot come and help you prepare for this. Jesus' point here is that there's no way for the disciples to follow him without depending on the helper. So what about us? It's the same for us, isn't it? We need to confess our need. To, our need sorry, we need to confess our need for help in order to follow Jesus. And just think about this for, for a second. I was thinking about it. And again, I'm just going to shame myself in this first point the whole time. Um, even preparing this sermon, I, I, I started realizing how much that is true. Because I sit down and of course I'm interested. I'm like, yeah, I want to transmit God's word. But really I'm thinking, oh, I want people to see that I'm transmitting God's word and realize that I'm so important in God's mission. I want people to, I, I want to be important in this. I, I, I want to I be up here and really help people um, you know, see how I help it. You know what I mean? Like you start getting into this thing and you start realizing, I want to be an apostle. I want to write the scriptures. I want people to talk about me when they die. And Jesus says, no, if that's the attitude you have, you're not going to see where I'm going. You're not going to be able to survive. You're not going to be able to follow me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, that doesn't describe me at all. I actually am very aware that I need help. This thing about following Jesus, man, it's hard. In fact, I'm not even sure I want to follow Jesus because it's so hard. 
Well, I have good news for you. Help is coming. It's good to confess that we need help, and God has sent his help. So let's talk about this helper. But first, I just want to say something, and Kelly kind of mentioned it earlier when she did the introduction. What we're going to speak about today, the roles of the Spirit, it's not all the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. There's much more. But there is something very unique about this passage and very important for us to have. There's a reason this is in our Bibles. And you see, the Trinity has always been, so the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They've always been in a relationship. They've always been together. They've been there forever. But when Jesus becomes man, something changes. This is what the New Testament is kind of all about. Something, something happens and the relationship changes for a moment. And it changes for us, especially because Jesus comes down and suddenly we have a way to the Father. And so what Jesus is saying now is the Holy Spirit has been here, but he's coming in a new way. There's a new role the Holy Spirit is going to have. So even this word helper that is used in John is kind of alerting us to what this particular mission of the Holy Spirit is once Jesus ascends. He's coming as a helper. The, word, the original word comes from like legal terminology, like an advocate or a helper, like someone who helps someone else express something or get something done. Um, other translations call him an exhorter or an encourager, but it's the same kind of concept, right? Someone who comes up beside you and says, let me help you get this done. Um, and, and so that's important just for us to note this role is very important for us to see of how the Holy Spirit is present now after Christ has ascended, and it is different. So let's get to the question, what does the helper do? We're going to talk about two main roles. Let's read verses, um, sorry, let's read verse 8 for the first role. 16 verse 8, it says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the first role that we see in the Holy Spirit is he convicts an unbelieving world. And this word conviction, again, it's one of those fancy New Testament words, right, that we like to throw around pretending that we know what it means, but often we don't. Well, the New Testament actually, it has a very specific meaning. It means to show someone his or her sin with the purpose of calling them to repentance. Let me repeat that. It's to show someone his or her sin with the purpose of calling them to repentance. In other words, it's a kind of shaming in a way, saying, look, you're really not that great, but God always does this with the purpose of calling people to repentance. And that's very important for us to see. God doesn't just come out and say, hey, you guys are all sinners and you're terrible, you're going to hell, hey, bye. No, he says, yeah, there is an issue with you, but I'm calling you to repentance, to come back. In a way, um, it's kind of like those black lights in CSI. Does anyone watch CSI? It's kind of old, but... Or they're, they're, I think they're blue lights, but I think they're technically called black lights. And if you remember, um, whenever someone dies or something, it's normally on a rug. <laughs> what a coincidence, right? <laughs> or carpet. Um, and, and, and someone's cleaned out the rug as best as they can, right, to get rid, rid of the stains. But then the agents come in with their black light and they shine it over and it's just disgusting. I mean, if, if you see all these stains of blood and, and other stuff that we won't get into. Um, if you were the owner of that rug, what would you do? You'd cut it out, throw it out, and buy a new rug after you see all that filth, right? So this is a lot like what conviction is like. It shines a light over our hearts. And all the stuff that we've tried to hide and kind of scrub away, suddenly it just comes out to the open. It's a painful process. Um, Being with Jesus had that effect on people. We see that throughout all of Scripture, don't we? We'd stand next to Jesus and say, man, I have all kinds of crap. And he he doesn't. So that's kind of what conviction is, is... You, you, you see what's within you. And the Holy Spirit, we're told, does the same role. It carries on the same role as Jesus. So let's look. It, it talks about three ways it does this, right? It says concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So let me just walk through those three categories with you. 
So we have a, a, a picture of what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to convict us of um, sin. So first we look at verse 9. It says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So you see, according to scripture, failing to believe in Christ is to continue in a state of rebellion against God. Failing to believe in Christ is basically failing to believe everything that's good about God, that's pure about God. In fact, God himself. Remember John 1.1? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Failing to believe in Christ is rejecting the way God is. That's That's what it means by sin is not believing in Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, after Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit continues to to bring us this conviction that if you're not believing in Christ, you're not getting it. You're not respecting God. So sin is related to what we believe. Let's go to the next one. In verse 10, it says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So if sin had to do with what we believe, righteousness has to do with what we do, right? The, The word of righteousness kind of feels like doing the right thing. Or being just, it's the, same, it's the same concept of being the right kind of person. And you see, before we encounter Jesus through the Spirit, we can, we can think that our good deeds are actually good, right? But when you run into Jesus, you realize that they weren't. Uh, I heard someone say this the other day, he says, you know, the, the commandment that we have in Scripture is to love your neighbors. And we don't really love our neighbors, but when we do, we mess it all up by patting ourselves on the back at the end and saying, I'm such a great neighbor, so even, like, even when we do good deeds, we mess it up because we end up bending into ourselves and kind of giving ourselves glory. So when people ran into Jesus, who really did love the Lord his God with all his heart, all his mind, and all his soul, and really did love his neighbors more than himself, something changes in your heart. You start realizing, I'm not righteous. My good deeds are not good after all. When we see true righteousness in Jesus, we're convicted by the fact that we don't have it. So in this scripture, Jesus says, um, they will see righteousness because I am going to the Father. This is a way of saying the Father is lifting me up because I'm righteous. Has he lifted any of you up? No. That's what he means by they'll see my righteousness, they'll be convicted of righteousness because Jesus was lifted up. He was so righteous that the Father raised him from dead. That's, That's a big difference between how we're righteous. So we have sin and righteousness. And the third thing the Holy Spirit convicts us of is judgment. This is in verse 11. It says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And again, imagine you believe in in Christ and you say, I want to follow you. And you realize that your good works aren't good enough. Then comes the moment of saying, well, how do I get from A to B? Right? Because we need a new carpet after we've seen all the disgusting stuff. We need to be freed um, in, in scripture words, we need to be freed from the power of Satan. And this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, concerning judgment, I've proved that the ruler of this world is judged. And that doesn't mean that he's sitting there and he's kind of judging them. It means he's been convicted. He's been sent, not, not even to the prison system that we have here. He's been sent to a prison that's way worse. There is freedom for those who want to be free from sin because I have beaten Satan. That's what Jesus is saying here. Concerning judgment, people are going to be convicted knowing that they are in chains and there is freedom. So you ask, um, how do I know if I've encountered the Spirit? Well, let me just give you three sentences that may help. First, concerning sin, you know you've encountered the Spirit when you realize that you are your biggest problem and only Jesus can save you. Concerning righteousness, you know you've encountered the Spirit when you repent of your good deeds, aware that they weren't really good after all. And concerning judgment, you know you've encountered the Spirit when he shows you 
your chains and how Jesus can break them and set you free to follow him. So let me ask you, have you felt this conviction? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're feeling it now. Keep listening. There's some good stuff coming. Um, And we think about this. We think about how the Holy Spirit has worked. You just have to look back 2,000 years at the millions and millions of people that have come to follow Christ. The Holy Spirit has been working to bring that conviction. See what Jesus means by saying, it's to your advantage that I go. So many more people are going to come to me. So that's the first role of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction to an unbelieving world. The second role um, we see from verse 13 on, and we'll see how the Holy Spirit guides Jesus' disciples into the full truth about him. Let me read that for you. Um, Chapter 16, verses 13 onwards. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He's talking to the disciples. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. That is, the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And here, so the Holy Spirit's role is to guide all disciples into the full truth about Christ. And this is important. It's the full truth about Christ. You see this picture that Jesus has painted us? Saying, I take what is the Father's. This is the Trinity. The great picture of the Trinity. He says, I take what is the Father's and I glorify the Father. You know, throughout all of John, we remember this. I come to glorify the Father. And then the Spirit takes all that Jesus has, which is what the Father has, and he glorifies Jesus, which glorifies the Father. You see this like crazy circle of just honoring and glorifying each other and sharing the same mission, the same word. And all of them are pointing to Christ for us, to Christ as the way to the Father. So this is really important. When he says he guides you into truth, it means he guides you into the truth of Christ. Not that he illuminates and brings in new truth that we've never heard before. That's not what he's saying. So let me just give you two examples of how this has worked throughout our history, right? First thing, how does the Spirit guide people into truth, guide his disciples into truth? Well, he got the Holy Scriptures written. And here, go back to our song, I won't sing it again. But the the apostles did become apostles and they did write scriptures, except they didn't. The Holy Spirit inspired them. The Holy Spirit led them. And you see this throughout Scripture where the disciples are saying, it's not me writing, but my eyes were opened by the Spirit. Everything is connected. There's one author of Scripture, and the Spirit has been the one motivating that. So that's one way we see the Holy Spirit working. And we can be confident in this word because the Spirit used the writers to point to Christ in it. So in addition to the New Testament, another way the Holy Spirit guides us into truth is he unites us with Christ. So you need, we, we need so much help. And this, this is kind of going back to our other example. We need so much help that we need a new heart and a new mind. When you're convicted of sin, it's not like, oh, I did that bad. Well, I'll just do it better tomorrow. That's not, that's not conviction of sin. That's cheap guilt. When you're convicted of sin, you realize this heart isn't good. <laughs> this mind, it doesn't work right. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes. And the scripture tells us the Holy Spirit dwells within us and gives us a new heart and a new mind, kind of like we need a new rug when we realize how dirty it is. Let me just read something to you from Paul in Romans 8. If you want to turn there, we're just going to read Romans 8 from 8 to 11, and I want to show how this works. Basically, what Paul is saying is without a new heart, without the Holy Spirit living within you, you can't follow Christ. Let me read this to you. Romans 8 from 8 to 11. It says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, speaking to Christians, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you or lives in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You see that? It's Christ's righteousness becomes yours. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So the Spirit, in guiding us into truth, makes us one with Christ in his body in order to benefit fully from what he did. The only way we can be connected to Christ to benefit from his death and his resurrection is through the Spirit. So do we see at this point why what we believe about the Holy Spirit is very important? You see, the Holy Spirit is not an addition to our Christian lives. It's not that you become a Christian and then later, oh, look, Holy Spirit, that's great. No, that's, that's not what Scripture's saying here. Quite the opposite. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no true conviction. In fact, there is no true belief in the true Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no way to follow Christ. We cannot have Christ without the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is why it is such good news when Christ says, I'm going to send my helper to you. Because this is the way we become one with Christ. And of course, there can be moments in our Christian walk where we have a more heightened awareness of the Holy Spirit or we understand it more. But let us not get into the trap of trying to separate the Spirit and Christ. Becoming a Christian means the Holy Spirit is working through us. We need help, and the helper is here. So let me just read to you how our denomination puts this in our statement of faith, how it talks about the Holy Spirit and why this is important. I think it'll be up there. It says, We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. Wow, what an amazing gift the Holy Spirit is, isn't it? So now that we know what this gift is, let me give you three suggestions on how, how do we respond to the Spirit? How do we let the Spirit work in us? Um, and I'll just, we'll just go through three areas really quickly and then end. First area, in our relationships, what does it look like for the Holy, to respond to the Holy Spirit? Well, it looks like being confident that the Holy Spirit has empowered you to love people. Being confident that the Holy Spirit has empowered you to love people. So um, in our church, for example... We have been given, like, I, I'm just thinking of what Charles was saying this morning. We've been given the ability to write a letter to someone and the Holy Spirit to work through that letter to encourage someone. Do you realize, like, that's, that's a big thing. Writing a little letter can change someone's life because the Holy Spirit is the one who's loving through us. Thinking of other people in this congregation, and sorry to call you out on this, but I'm thinking of Samantha, um, who is, has decided to open up her home for foster care. Loving people that way is a huge way of being confident. The Spirit has empowered me to love people so I can do this. It's not me. It's not that she has this amazing ability to love people. It's that the Holy Spirit is calling her to that. And as a community, we can come around and be confident that by supporting one another, by calling one another during the week, um, by sitting with someone else, by hugging someone Sunday morning, that the Spirit is working through us. We can be confident and pray for that. At your dinner table, you can invite people over that don't look like you. Don't make as much money of you, as you or make more money than you. You can invite them over and share your house with them, share your conversation with them because the Holy Spirit has given you this ability to love. This is a big deal. This is really big. We don't have to be trained to love. We have to just do it 
And we are trained. I mean, there, there's, you learn how to do stuff better. But, but the Holy Spirit has given us that ability. That's very important. Another area in our relationships, as you share your, the gospel with others, remember that it's not your job to convict people. Your job is to share about Christ, to point to Christ, witness to him, to be in Christ, to tell him how Christ has changed your life. And the Holy Spirit will convict people. So on the one hand, it kind of keeps you from telling people every single sin they have in your life. That normally isn't super helpful. You may know this by now. That's called condemnation when we tell people, you're actually a sinner. See you later. Conviction is what the Holy Spirit is doing in someone's heart. It doesn't mean we don't talk about sin, but it means we let the Holy Spirit bring that conviction. We trust in that. We pray for people. We expect that to happen as we're talking to people. So here's another area. That's in our relationships. What about in your vocation? Well, you're able to work as if unto the Lord. I was reading a book recently. He was saying, you know, everything we do when we become Christians is suddenly part of our sanctification. That is, it's, it's part of our forming us to Christ. Whether it's painting, um, whether it's, it's, it's a job, even if it's like in an assembly line, putting something on, suddenly all that is part of your process of sanctification. Raising kids, cooking a meal, um, driving someone somewhere. And we need to think about this differently. We need to realize that the Holy Spirit is working through us. And on the one hand, it, it, it helps us love what we're doing a lot more because we're doing it to the Lord. On the other hand, it helps us rest because we realize that the Holy Spirit has given us things to do, but we don't have to do it for everyone else. Does that make sense? That's in our vocation. And finally, in what we desire. Now, one of the, one of the ways Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit is as a down payment of what is to come, of the resurrection to come. And if we start thinking about this, if the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the life that is to come, and as we look at that life, we're pointed to Christ and we just see him glorious. It's kind of like that song, fix your eyes upon Jesus and all the things of this world will become strangely dim. Expect that if the Holy Spirit is working in you. Expect that things that you want to depend on for safety, for happiness, and this could be good stuff like your family um, or your job or your income. It could be stuff that's maybe a little more iffy to depend on like your race or your country those things, they start to become dim. They start to disappear as you think, there's one mission for me, and that's the party that Jesus is preparing me in heaven with his Father. Think of the Holy Spirit as the down payment as we prepare for that. And maybe, maybe you're here and you've never put your trust in Christ. And you're listening this morning and you feel something in your heart. You're like, man, this is painful. That's conviction. And I just want to encourage you Take that seriously. The Holy Spirit may be calling you to put your trust in Christ, to let go of wanting to be righteous for your own, to let go of your own righteousness, stop depending on it, and to depend on Christ. So friends, as I end, what a privilege it is to be invited into this mission, isn't it? I mean, Jesus' departure was tough, not only for the disciples, it was tough for him. But think about this, 2,000 years later, we gathered together to worship in a country the disciples didn't even know would ever exist, in a continent no one knew about in this part of the world. Isn't that, isn't that amazing to think about what the Holy Spirit has done so far, bringing us to Christ? Imagine what he still has to do with us. Let me pray to end. Just bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Son, for Christ who was lifted up as the righteous one who died to take our sins upon him. And we thank you that he sent the Spirit so that we could benefit from that death, Lord. We could benefit and be able to abide in him, to live with him, to have him 
as our Lord and as our guide, that we'd be able to be integrated into his body and be able to enjoy the forgiveness and the love that you offer. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would give us a heightened sense of how connected we are with Christ through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your gifts, Lord. Thank you that you are such an amazing, mysterious God, but that you've revealed yourself to us through the Spirit. In your name, amen.